Well, a few years ago, when I was freshly minted as a deacon, I was driving home one Sunday after church. And as I'm driving along in my collar, no less, having just served at church, I passed by a most strange sight. On the side of the road, I notice a human body laying just inches from the traffic. As I passed this person on the side of the road, I had to process what I just saw. Was that a human body? Had he been hit by a car? Was there a hit and run? Where is the car? Well, the urge to turn around grew with each question, but so did the urge to keep driving. What could I do if it was a hit and run? I'm no first responder. I wouldn't know what to do. Surely the next person will stop. I'm sure it's nothing. Janie and the kids are back home. They're waiting on me. They're starving for lunch. I should just keep driving. So this is when the Holy Spirit spoke up and reminded me of our gospel passage today. Oh, man, I have to turn around now. I have to. I have got to help. What kind of deacon would I be if I didn't? And so with a bit of fear and a great sense of responsibility, I turned around and got out of the car and slowly approached that body. Well, this week we continue our sermon series on the core values at Mission St. James by looking at missional mercy. This is the roof of our house, so to speak, that we've been building over the last several weeks. If you'll remember, biblical orthodoxy was the foundation of that house, And Anglican spirituality sort of built up the walls that made the floor plan of our house. Communal discipleship describes the inhabitants of the house, those who will live in this house we call Mission St. James. And last week we talked about relational hospitality, which is our front door. So missional mercy is sort of the roof of our house, is that part of the house that guards from the elements. The heat of the sun and the rain and the snow. It's that part that shelters us from misery. And to illustrate the biblical understanding of mercy, we've already read the parable of the Good Samaritan, who helps a man who has been beaten, stripped, robbed, and left for dead. The lawyer who tried to justify himself by asking who his neighbor was, recognized that the deeds of the Samaritan were deeds of mercy. And the parable was intended to answer that question, who is my neighbor? The parable, well, for, 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 for tonight, this evening, what I want us to look at is the parable, at this parable, to answer a different question, a question of what does it mean, what do we mean by missional mercy? And at Mission St. James, this is what we want to characterize our ministry, our labor, or our work. Now, there's much to be said about this parable and why Jesus tells this parable the way that he does. But I think it's sufficient to simply point out that he exalts the Samaritan as the merciful hero of the story and the priest and Levite as the failures because it addresses the lawyer's question. That evil Samaritan 
For Jews and Samaritans were at odds with each other. That evil Samaritan is a neighbor to the man in need. So the one who shows mercy is the neighbor. My neighbor, then, is the one in need. So this is the main point of the whole passage. But I want us to zoom in tonight on verses 35 through 33. If you look there in your bulletins or in your Bibles, if you have them, this is where we're going to spend our time. So in verse 33, Jesus says that the Samaritan does three things. One, he came to where the man was. Two, he saw him. And three, he had compassion on him. So first, he came to where the man was. So it's difficult to show mercy to others when we avoid being around suffering. So who in here enjoys going to hospitals or nursing homes or prisons? Those typically aren't very enjoyable places to go because there's great suffering there in many cases, isn't there? So it's entirely impossible to organize our lives in such a way so as to avoid coming near suffering at any time. Our modern um, lifestyle is very conducive to that. So the first thing that we learn from the Samaritan is that we need to come near suffering in order to notice the needs of our neighbors. Which is the second thing we learn from the Samaritan. He saw the man, is what the text says. He saw the man. Even when we find ourselves among the suffering, it is entirely possible not to see them, isn't it? We may notice the sufferings of others. That doesn't mean we see those who are suffering. So think about the panhandlers that you might encounter here in town. You could be sitting at an intersection and literally come near someone holding a sign asking for help. But do we see that person? Now, I have mixed feelings about panhandling, how to respond to that. But what I want to point out here is that regardless of the motivation of a panhandler and the legitimacy of their claims, I can very easily not see them. That is, I can disregard the fellow image bearer holding up a sign. So I'm saying that mercy is withheld when I refuse to see suffering. But this was not the Samaritan's response, was it? Instead, here's the third thing. He showed compassion. He has compassion. Compassion is the key ingredient for mercy. The priest and the Levite both came near the man and saw him, but they did not have compassion. Otherwise, they would take action, wouldn't they? Compassion is not just a feeling or an emotion. It's a feeling or an emotion that is accompanied by deed or action. The word for compassion here shows up 12 times in the New Testament, and each occurrence refers to Jesus' compassion, and nearly all of them are followed by him doing something to relieve suffering. Action. Feeding 5,000, the 4,000, healing the blind, 
healing the leper, casting out demons, and so on. So if our compassion is to look like Jesus' compassion, it will require action, which is what we see in the next few verses, verses 34, 34 through 35. Jesus tells us that the Samaritan's compassion resulted in several deeds. He bound the man's wounds, didn't he? He poured out wine and oil on him. He brought him to shelter and took care of him. The first thing that we learn from the Samaritan here is that mercy is risky. Mercy is risky. We know that the road to Jericho was a dangerous one. Everyone in this story was in a hurry to get to their destination. Because what happened to the victim of the story would likely to happen, would, was likely to happen to them as well. So when the Samaritan's compassion leads him to these actions, he not only takes on financial burdens, he's putting himself in harm's way. So mercy is risky. But mercy is also inconvenient. In our Wednesday night Bible study on the healing miracles of Jesus, someone pointed out that whenever Jesus heals, it's always an interruption for him. He's coming or he's going, and sometimes he's even trying to get away from people when he encounters those who are suffering. And in each case, he allows himself to be inconvenienced. You see, we often justify not loving our neighbor because doing so would make us late for the next appointment. This didn't stop the Samaritan, and nor did it stop Jesus. So mercy is inconvenient, and we need to be prepared for that. We need to expect that. Next, mercy is messy. It's messy. Just as the Samaritan decided to move toward the man left for dead, so we must be willing to lean in to the mess, don't we? In my Jericho Road moment that Sunday, I had no idea what I was walking into. Would there be a pool of blood under this body? If this person is still alive, what do I do then? What am I getting myself into? Will getting myself into this mess be getting into someone else's mess? Well, in the most cases, the answer to that question is yes, it will. Mercy is never neat or clean. It is messy. So mercy is risky. Mercy is inconvenient. Mercy is messy. And mercy is costly. Oil and wine were not cheap commodities of those days. Putting someone else up in a hotel for an indefinite amount of time isn't cheap either. Mercy requires us to give sacrificially. Look at verse 35. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you. When I come back, a single denarius was about a day's wage for an average laborer. 
So here, in this situation, the Samaritan isn't just pulling out a dollar or two or even a $20 bill. He's pulling out at least, at least, let's say, 200 to $300 just to cover a stranger's needs. And not only that, but he plans to come back along this dangerous road and offers to pay any additional expenses he needs to. So this guy is going above and beyond what he is required to do. But this is Jesus' example of what mercy looks like. It takes something from us. Mercy is costly. Finally, mercy is often rejected. It's often rejected. When I approached the body on the side of the road that day, I discovered that the man was actually alive. There had been no hit and run. There had been no no accident. There was no beating. There was no blood. He simply got tired and laid down to rest, just inches from traffic. He would not answer any of my questions, And he was irritated that I had stopped. Still, I couldn't leave him there, and I told him that. And I did the only thing I knew to do. I called 911. So I waited for an officer to show up. And by the time he did, the man had already gotten up and continued his journey. The officer had told me that he had already encountered this guy once earlier that day. So he didn't appreciate my desire for help or desire to help. And he certainly didn't appreciate the fact that I called the cops. I tried to give him some bread and water as he slowly walked away, but he rejected those as well. Now, I have much to learn about Mercy Ministries. I really do. But that that day was a lesson to me. Mercy is often rejected. Perhaps there was something more I could have done or some other way I could have approached it. But this has to be the case. It's often rejected. So because mercy is risky and costly and messy and inconvenient and may be rejected anyway, we are often ready to get it over with as quickly as possible if we decide to take any action at all. But what we see in the Samaritan is not duty. Right? It's not let's do what God requires and get out of here. But it's genuine charity. It's genuine love. Remember that this parable began with a lawyer wanting to test Jesus and to justify himself. He was concerned with the law. And Jesus turns the whole thing around by giving us The Samaritan who shows mercy. Hmm. So here we have law and we have mercy. Under the law, we face judgment. Under mercy, we are brought into freedom. And this is the gospel. You and I deserve judgment. But we're shown mercy instead. In a way, the law is easier to deal with, isn't it? We can sort of go through life thinking that we are navigating the do's and don'ts sufficiently. But the bad news is that we cannot do that. We never can. 
And this is St. James's point in our New Testament reading today. He says, for whoever keeps the law, the whole law, but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. And so we are all under judgment. That is until we are shown mercy in the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, we are all in need of a roof over our heads. We are exposed to the eye of God. He sees every part of us at every depth. But he hides us in the shelter of his wings. He clothes us in his own righteousness and provides everything that we lack. He protects us from the heat of the day and the cold of the night and the rain and the snow. That is, he finds us in the ditch of sin and suffering. And he pours the oil of his spirit into our hearts. He pours out his own blood like wine for us. And he brings us into the shelter of a home, his church. At Mission St. James, we want to pursue missional mercy. Not to grow our church or somehow earn God's favor. No, none of that. We pursue missional mercy because he has lavished upon us his own mercy. And as St. James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Beloved, we are to show mercy to our neighbors. That is all those we come into contact with who are suffering. Because that is exactly what Christ has done for you and I. We pursue missional mercy out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving, out of a sincere desire to imitate Jesus Christ, the ultimate good Samaritan. Brothers and sisters, as your pastor, I am burdened by James' words when he says, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. One of the reasons we wanted to plant Mission St. James is because many Christians in America today justify walking past those suffering in our families and in our churches and in our communities. And we're in danger of receiving all the mercy of God without ever showing it. The Lord knows how inadequate I feel to lead a church in mercy ministry. But I was so encouraged last year when we took the spiritual gifts inventory. Do you remember this? The results of that were that most of you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to give mercy, to show mercy. I was deeply saddened to hear of uh, the passing of Pastor Tim Keller the other day. Actually, I included this before I had heard that he had passed away. But in his excellent book, Ministries of Mercy, Tim Keller says that mercy ministries in the church begin at the grassroots. They don't tend to be top-down ministries. But any desire we have to practice missional mercy as a church must be rooted in the mercy shown to us in Jesus Christ. And I long to see us as a church lean into the suffering of others rather than running away from it. And that doesn't happen overnight. We all have to be patient. But brothers and sisters, 
Stir up among yourselves the ministry of mercy. Do you share concerns with others in our church? Well, dream together. Do you see needs in the city or even in this very room that aren't being met? Reach over the pew or cross the street. Let your compassion be motivated by what God has done for us and let it lead you to show the compassion of Jesus to others. Invite the rest of us along. This is missional mercy. It is our calling. It is our ministry. And it is our vision. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would inspire us, that your gospel, the mercy that you have shown to us in the cross of Jesus Christ would so affect us, would so move us, that we can't help but show mercy to others. And Father, I pray that as we do so, Lord, that we would invite one another to come along, who we might show one another not only our hearts and how Jesus has affected them, but what it might look like to be good Samaritans in our city, in our church, and in our families. So we pray for the inspiration of your Holy Spirit as we go out and do this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.